0: This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello
1: everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, the first official episode of 2020 and I am rejoined by David Hughes. How are you doing mate? Triumphant return
0: mate. Well, not, <laughs> not for, not for ever, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's okay. This is a Liverpool podcast, so it's happy days. Yeah, but you uh, you missed out on New Year, didn't you? Uh, Christian stood in. For the yeah, week. he did. Hero. Um, I hope people aren't too disappointed that I'm back, but um, we, had a, <laughs> we had a worthy substitute in the form of uh, the OG Christian. Yeah. Did
1: you bring in the New Year? Okay, though. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was good, mate. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was nice to have some time off. Uh, obviously, we haven't. We've talked before. We haven't really done a pod for a few weeks by our standards. Is a lifetime, isn't it? No, it feels it feels a while, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but we've only missed
1: two games. Actually, mm. you know, Liverpool games to cover is, is, is what I mean there. Uh, Sheffield United, obviously the Everton game, which I'm sure you're looking forward to. <laughs> and we're gonna look ahead to the Spurs game as well. But uh, you know, we'll we'll get straight into it and we'll go we'll go to Sheffield United, which I mean for me another another really, really impressive performance. Another another Leicester performance, really. Mm. Uh, you didn't actually speak about the rest of the game with me, did you? But I didn't, no. It was, it was flawless, and I thought I thought
0: this one followed a similar theme. And you was at the ground, wasn't you? And yeah, I was blown away. Um, just utter, utter dominance. And I tweeted half-time. Obviously, it was only 1-0 at half-time, but I just tweeted how impressed I was with Liverpool, and I didn't really think the scoreline justified the performance at that stage of the game. I think they had an XG of around 0.75 at half-time. So... You know, looking at that alone, you might think it was a fairly tight game. But God, the intensity from Liverpool was just phenomenal. They were, they were brilliant. They really. And it, I know it's hard to say. Um, it's hard to come up with new ways to to explain how good Liverpool have been this season. But just in that game, I was I was so impressed with them. Yeah, I mean, it was
1: it was the we talk a lot on the show about dominance and things like that, and what you want from an analytical perspective to win a game and things and. I suppose this was, this was pretty much that once again. It was Liverpool 75% possession on the day, 19 shots to three. Um, and the XG expected goals on the day was three for Liverpool and 0.9 for Sheffield United. I must say though that about 1.6 of that for Liverpool was Mane's goal. Because obviously Mane's goal, he, he shoots close to goal mm. it gets saved yeah. and then he puts into an open net mm. that goes down as two shots mm. both very very close to goal so a yeah. little bit misleading
0: that but you know certainly a deserved win from my perspective and but they are hard to um create chances against aren't they were. Nice. I, thought,
1: I still thought they were on the day yeah, I, I, yeah. I think we were we were in control but i think we generally struggled to actually penetrate the box. Yeah. I think the good at, um, back back fives tend to do that to us mm. at Anfield. Um, Wolves did it, at, at, you know, similar system and, yeah, and that sort of thing. Mm. You just, you, you almost pen yourself on the edge of the box and it's easy to get into the final third, but to actually generate a chance that's that you'd label as clear cut. Mm. I don't think we created that that many, but the XG, suggest otherwise it's a bit of a strange one
0: mm, yeah it's again where maybe everything always needs some context to it and XG something I put in that in that department because um, as I said watching the game and obviously people watching and listening to us now probably caught the game as well it felt a very comfortable uh, win and an impressive one at that because I do really like Sheffield United um, was you a little bit let down by them or do you think it's, you know, Christmas I, period? I, I, no, because, you know, I watched them at the Etihad. Um, and they, they really did pose some questions of City. I thought City were rather fortunate to win on the day. That was 2-0 yeah. as well, wasn't it? Yeah, but they the expected goals. I think it was 0.9 each, so... Yeah, so I think that was a... I expected something maybe similar if Liverpool win at the best. But I just thought... Yeah, all right. Sheffield United probably p- played better this season, but I just thought Liverpool was so good. I think Liverpool caused issues for Sheffield United, and that's why these sh- they couldn't perform at a high level on the de- on the day. Yeah, I
1: think after the game, Chris Wilder, he did praise Liverpool. Don't get me wrong, but he also had a little bit of a little bit of a dig at his own players in terms of just letting letting Liverpool do what they want hmm. to a, to a degree, but. I think there's one. I really do think there's only so much you can do. That that and was one uh, of those days for me. definitely. Yeah, very very few teams in Europe can cope with Liverpool when they're that focused, that hungry without the ball, um, and it it really was just
0: an an impressive performance. Well, I, uh, I showed you before, didn't I? I had a look at the PPDA from Liverpool on the day. It was just flat line. It was just they just intense all game. Like there was no let up. Like we've talked sometimes about them maybe easing off, haven't they, To conserve energy. But maybe this this is what Wilder was hitting on is the he let them have it all their own way all game. But it was just relentless for the full course of the game. Yeah. I think it's it's the type of performance I've spoken about in the past about Liverpool having gears,
1: sort of mm-hmm. thing and I think we use those gears based on the quality of the opponent. And I think against Sheffield United and against Leicester. We, I think for me clearly we gave them two sides a lot of respect mm. and you could tell by how focused we were during the match. I, I, I'm excited to see Liverpool this season in the latter stages of the Champions League mm. because I'm, I'm excited to see what this team's top, top level gear five mm. is. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. I think in a lot of matches we can just coast through once we've took a lead or, or that sort of thing and I think we've seen very sporadic periods of Liverpool in fifth gear. I think last season we saw Liverpool in fifth gear against Bayern Munich maybe at the new camp away we were just okay, we lost three nil. Mm. But for large periods of the match Barcelona just couldn't breathe. Yeah. And People
0: forget that, don't they? Scoreline narrative kind of impacts your memory on that game. But yeah, Liverpool didn't actually play too bad.
1: Yeah, and I think Liverpool uh, I've got this thing where we you know we scored a lot of late goals and things and I think that's a lot of fitness related. Um and I'm just intrigued to see Liverpool in the Champions League later in the season and things like that. Just, obviously, when we go to City away as well, if we're still unbeaten at that time, if we get through City away, that could take us into an invincible season. But
0: again, it probably would involve a gear five of Liverpool. And I'll be honest, just on a, on these two games, prior to these... Everton and... Uh, no, Giants. this is before them. Not Everton, so this is Leicester and... Oh, yeah. ...United. I did say to myself, if Liverpool win these, I'm going to tip them to basically do an invincible season. <laughs> it's easier for me to say that then than some it's, Liverpool fans, but I I just can't see a team beating them. I think it's... Even on the off days, they just find they just seem to be doing enough. I think it, it would be really almost
1: like a, like a Disney story mm. if Liverpool were to go 30 years without... Premier League title, mm. and then to do it by going unbeaten, mm. getting a century of points, mm. and obviously winning your first.
0: That would be some way of actually yeah. like overcoming the hoodoo if you like. But I do, I just, I do, I, uh, I find, you know, even you look last season, it was only City that beat Liverpool, wasn't it, all season? Yeah. So that was only one loss last season. And, and that was narrow as well. It was narrow. It was a tight game. It was decided by those moments that we talk about. and I, uh, I must say, I just, I, I, I'm not I'm not jinxing it, you know, obviously from a Liverpool perspective, such words, but I just, I can't see a team. I think at the cup competitions are different, Champions League, you know, there's going to be a lot of questions asked there that could be difficult juggling the latter stages of that. Um, I think the FA Cup, Klopp's obviously going to give the kids a good run for as long as they can stay in it. Um, but the Premier League, I think, they're so focused, so good, it's going to be really difficult for the side to beat them this year.
1: Yeah, I mean during the the match with Sheffield United One thing I picked up on and wrote about was How Liverpool seem to use a a situational back three at times um, A few people said that this is something Liverpool always do Which is true But I don't think we do it to this extent I think we did it a lot against Sheffield United And I think it was a bit more, bit more deliberate than usual A bit more fixed than usual Obviously, it can happen occasionally because it's a fluid system, but this seemed a little bit more intentional. I think it makes sense when you look at Sheffield United. Obviously, Henderson played as the number six on the day, but he was inclined to drop in alongside Joe Gomez and Van Dijk to form a back three. Mm. And what that did was it outnumbered Sheffield United's front two and also cut off the channels that they were, dart- they, they were darting into at Bramal Lane. Mm. And it also permitted... Alexander-Arnold and Robertson to push up maybe an extra 10 yards, yeah. which forces back Sheffield United's wing-backs. Mm. Um, and it, it just worked. It, it was just really good way of... Um, I'm not, I think we did something a little bit similar eventually at Lane once we figured out what was going on. Mm. But we came into this one, I think, with the awareness that it was going to work from the off. But again, it's, you know Chris Wilder will have probably went into it thinking we're facing a 4-4-3 and maybe Plenty will have came out of it thinking we faced a 4, four, uh, four three, 3 sorry. Mm. but it's it's those very, very subtle adjustments within the confines of the, the system that you already know mm.
0: that are so effective. Yeah, I thought just on that point, it is so fluid in those wide areas, especially in that game, that a lot of the time, Trent was playing in the position that he'd expect Salah to be taking up. And Salah would obviously drop deeper sometimes to maybe cl- try and collect the ball from Henderson. And I think it's really difficult for the defender and midfielder to com- communicate in those split seconds who's going to track Salah to yeah. stop him picking up the ball. And then obviously Trent remains in such an advanced position um, that, just, that the threat is always there. And I think Liverpool can do this because they're so comfortable with just staying with a 2v2 two two at times if the ball is lost, isn't it? The, the central defenders are playing so well. Yeah, they're so capable of yeah. coping, coping in isolation and stuff that like they're that. They're happy to run that risk, aren't they, of they're 2v2 two because two, they're confident that they'll at least slow the attack down enough for the players to drop back into defensive positions. So I think that's important to note, that the, the comfort of the defence is obviously key to that working.
1: Yeah, just a word on that, actually, might as well say this... You, we haven't, you haven't prepared in advance for this one, but I'm just going to throw it in there anyway. Uh, just a word on Joe Gomez, because yeah. I think he's picked up recently. Oh, yeah, he's been ready. And I think to the extent that you can clearly see why, initially at the start of the season on the opening day, Klopp reverted back to the Van Dyke Gomez pairing. Mm. And he reverted back to Matab eventually once Gomez was a little bit shaky. But I think when you see Gomez playing like this, you see why he is. You know, all things considered, Van Dyke's real partner. Mm-hmm. I think he's some player.
0: Yeah, he is, yeah. But what I will say is even when we were talking about him struggling, we always put the caveat in there of... He'll it, be back. Yeah, he yeah. will be back. It's hard to kind of come back up to full speed, isn't it? Um, and now he's played a fair few minutes since coming back from injury and he looks he looks great. You know, that looks a really solid defensive partnership again. And, and now it's flipped to the point where we're saying... You know, is Mata's probably gonna have to struggle now to get back into the side when he's fully fit again. It's a, it's a, it's a good headache to have for Klopp. Yeah, it definitely is. Yeah, but
1: I, I think one one thing I've considered lately is that I think that the reason he's so suited to playing alongside Van Dijk and the reason when they both play and they're both on the form, mm. we don't seem to ever concede. You know, that's five clean sheets in a row. By the way, mm. at the minute. Um, but I think Van, I think Gomez is is the, the closest to Van Dijk certainly at Liverpool, in terms of his biggest strength being that he hasn't really got a weakness, Gomez. Mm. Obviously very, very fast, very aggressive, good in the air, good positionally and things like that, strong. He's He is like a mini Van Dyke. <laughs> That's a fair point. Yeah. There's, there's no real weaknesses you can play on regarding Gomez. No. When he's on form, it is like having a miniature Van Dyke.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, I totally agree, yeah, and it's... Um obviously it's key to his development if he's playing in a, alongside a similar player who's maybe still a level above what he is um, but yeah I think it's Klopp potentially rearing him to to be the main the main man going forward um, if Van Dijk does eventually in a year or two begin to have some form of drop off Yeah ability. I mean
1: it it is five clean sheets in a row now um, and this is a little a staff from our producer guy who just sent me this um, those d- those clean sheets derive from the three nil win over Bournemouth, in which Gomez reverted back to centre back after Lovren was injured. So I'm not the type to to look at results when a single player is involved mm. and say that you know we are yet to concede the goal when I don't know Naby Keita is on the pitch. I'm not I'm not particularly a believer in that, but I do think that Gomez is inclined to make a a big difference not in terms of Liverpool's overall defensive game, but a big difference in certain moments. Like, Mm. there was a moment against Wolves when a ball was played over the top, Trent slipped, and I think it was Vinagre was through on goal. Mm, Um, And if that's Lovren and Gomez slips, or if that's Matip and Gomez slips, not Gomez, if that's Matip and Trent slips, and if that's Lovren... You would have got go away with that. No one was going to put you <laughs> on, yeah. They don't make up that ground. Mm. They don't recover in, in enough time to put off mm. Vinagre before he takes the shot. Gomez is—he's just got that extra yard to the extent that he might not fully recover, but he'll put the player off enough for him not to, to score. Do you yeah. see what I mean? Yeah, I, I, think I think that's
0: where the differences come in with clean sheets. Mm. I think he uses his body really well. That's what I've noticed about Gomez. He, he just seems to... Position himself really well. He uses his strength where it, you know, it's it, it's no risk of fouls. It's just really clever play. It's he, just a, he, he's just a really. He's, I think he, he's got he's got the perfect blend, has not he, of physique and power. Yeah.
1: With the pace, it, he's
0: not like a tactical mouse as well.
1: Yeah, he's not like tall enough to the extent that he's like rigid and mm. difficult mover, but he's not slow enough. Did you see what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, no, yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah, he's a he's a he's a really good player.
1: Yeah, just one more thing on Sheffield United. You know, the opening goal came from a ball over the top again. Um, but we did we did the similar at Bramall Lane. Mm. But there was a moment at Bramall Lane we couldn't break through them. Van Dijk hit a ball over the top to Mane. Mane really should have scored. Um, and this time, the ball was hit over the top to. Lallana maybe not Lallana Lallana I wasn't even playing Robertson it was I think a Sheffield United player slipped it got played to, um, to Marnie and Mane scored so mm. these balls over the top really do seem to be playing a part lately just yeah. such an effective basic means of build up that a lot of teams I think there's almost an obsession with building from the back whereas I think Liverpool just openly mix it up yeah, they've still I,
0: got the most long balls in the Premier League haven't they yeah, yeah.
1: yeah I think so yeah which you would commonly look at as an unattractive Mm -hmm. treat, but if you're hitting them on target and they're effective, it's just another problem for the opposing team
0: to to deal with, I suppose. What I I found, because I was doing a bit of a opposition analysis from a United point of view, um, not too long ago on Wolves, and obviously Liverpool played Wolves um, just before that. Um, What I noticed with Liverpool's long balls is they they are like a double-edged sword because... For a start, I think the likes of Mane is actually really underrated in the air. I think he's, he is good in the air, despite his size. But also, I think Liverpool are so quick in the second phase, aka sweeping up the loose balls, that a lot of the time it can it can advance them into the, the final third very quickly where someone else will... The, the defence might win the initial header, but Liverpool always seem to pick up the second ball and suddenly they're in the final third with attackers around them. And it, be, it just becomes a really good... Um, attacking sequence of play really yeah yeah no I couldn't agree more
1: mm. I think it was an impressive performance one of our best this season mm. um, it, for me it can tally up close to, to the Leicester performance I think um, and we get out with another win mm. but we'll move on now to, to the Everton talk <laughs> um, just you know it's just a start general thoughts on the game I mean we don't we don't usually go into detail on, on domestic cups but with this being a derby and with this going the way it went, I think it's it justifies the chat, especially considering we've got spares to to address, and then we haven't got another match then because United will be next week. So, just general thoughts on the, on the derby and how it went.
0: <laughs> from what point of view? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just no. general perception, yeah. you know, from both sides. Um, really impressed by Liverpool's team on the day. Um, really impressed, but not surprised either. Um, I think Everton should be ashamed of themselves really Uh, what did you expect what like as in as in as the team to come out as in we knew the lineups yeah I expected a difficult game but I expected Everton to maybe show a little bit more composure take control and use a little bit more experience to to go on and Problem. I I I didn't I didn't expect an Aston Villa score line, put it that way, I didn't expect no. a five nil, but I thought maybe two or three two nil, one something like that. Um provided they were controlled. But yeah, the um they were their own worst enemy. I thought, as I said, you wouldn't there's no way you're gonna get away with it against any Liverpool side in Anfield because they're so so strong. No, I think I
1: think for me it, it did go mostly as I expected it to go. Although I would say that I thought Everton would consi- would convert one of their chances. Um, I suppose you can blame a Asian for that, and B maybe a lack of quality finishing mm. on the day. Definitely the latter, yeah. Um, and yeah, I just I just think it was an impressive performance from Liverpool's perspective. But mm. I, I, I did think that with the quality on show on the day, you know Everton having their first choice eleven out, I just
0: thought they'd have a bit too much quality yeah that's why I expect them just edge in most apartments a lot of it really for experience but um, I mean the, the goal that decided the match we will get to mm. but I thought that if if
1: you look at the teams on the day I thought that if any player was going to produce a moment like that it would be in the Everton ranks
0: yeah yeah same i um, because that, That's a quality finish, isn't it? That's yeah. like oh, like it's, it's a good finish Me, well I'm looking forward to talking about We'll come on to him in a bit. But yeah, it's it's really hard to to kind of discuss things from from an Everton point of view because it was just so poor. Um But I was yeah, I was really pleased with well, I wouldn't say I was pleased, but I was <laughs> impressed with Liverpool. You know, I did say even I've said to you, haven't I, even those chances that Everton created for me, they were against the run of play from start to finish. I thought Liverpool dominated the game. They were the better side on the day, and they did deserve the chances, even if they lost the the xG. Yeah, I mean, we'll split it up into two halves. I think the first half, Liverpool
1: showed the intent. Liverpool showed the, you know, the, you could see, you see they were trying to instill the identity of Liverpool that Klopp has established. But I think I think it offered an insight into. So many teams try to uh, try to have this dominant style of play mm. where you're pressing highly. Mm. And o- always the byproduct of those teams is you, you don't face many shots, but when you do, the clear cut. Mm. That's the byproduct of Manchester City at the minute. That was the byproduct of Everton under Marjo Silva. Mm. If you press highly, you you don't usually face many shots, but when you do, they're usually quite clear cut. Mm. Liverpool, I I think are the best in Europe at Mixing a high press with, you know, when the shots do come, they're still not that clear cut. Mm. They're still quite difficult from difficult angles and you've still got players around you and things. And I think this match offered an insight into how good Liverpool's usual defence is. Mm. Because in the first half, as you say, we dominated. But when the shots came, they were clear cut and really should have been converted.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think... um I think the set piece one, Hallgate's chance was a poor one to concede from a Liverpool point of view, because that was just a, a, a loft of ball into the into the area, which there was two or three Everton players really lining up for it. Well, I, th- I think if that was Liverpool's
1: usual defence, he probably would have been offside. Yeah, because he he literally better. hold the line until mm. the ball is kicked. But I think so many players are so inclined to, as the player approaches
0: the kick, you just naturally start drifting towards yeah. your own goal. Well, it's it's. It it it's I suppose you could say it's just not being familiar with that kind of um, environment that you do in these things. You know, the psyche does come into it, and you are you are just feeling a little bit more under pressure than which might may then cause a little bit of nerves. And as you said, a split second you might stop holding the line and drop a little bit deeper, which plays someone on side. What I will say is, you know, it didn't it didn't help Liverpool in the sense that they lost Milner after a few minutes as well because. He's experienced Ted yeah. on the pitch and they lost him brought in uh, LaRucci I'm not sure on pronunciation LaRucci it. LaRucci I must um, say he did well Yeah I've watched him a lot actually he's a, I've actually saw him play right back right mid and up front he's, a, he's <laughs> such a versatile player but once he'd settled into the game I thought it took him a little while and Everton had joy down his side but once he settled into the game um, it seemed to have almost translated into the other players as well and the whole back line then looked very relaxed as the longer the game went on. Yeah, yeah. I mean if
1: if you move on to the second half, mm. I think we seem to continue to dominate proceedings. But I think we shored up the whole clear cut chances every now and then mm. aspect. I think we I don't really think we we faced many shots at all in the second half. I'm not sure if that was due to to Liverpool or to do with
0: I think, for me, there was an element of Everton just freezing. I was about to say, there was a moment early on the second half where, to me, it felt like Liverpool's players realised, the younger lads realised, we, we can go out and win this game from here. And Everton almost started to shrink a little bit and it looked there seemed to be a lot of questioning themselves and overthinking decisions on the ball yeah yeah just it it seemed a completely different mentality in both sides which obviously ended up why Liverpool became so controlling in the game and Everton were very very poor
1: yeah it was almost as though Everton Everton players were playing with a backpack on the shoulders that was Packed full of burden almost, and yeah. Liverpool's players were just playing with complete freedom. Yeah, no much expe- hunger as well. Yeah, no real expectation on the shoulders.
0: I also thought it helped that um, Pedro Chirivella. Yeah, in, another one who played well. Oh yeah, he just he seems to he was playing pretty well throughout the game, but he, he just clicked in. He clicked in in the second half, and you know he he was brilliant to finding spaces to pick, come and pick up the ball. Um, great vision with the ball. Great passing. Uh, you know, it was just a really brilliant performance by him. It's probably a little bit of a shame that he'll he'll never maybe make it to Liverpool. It might be one of his only performances. Yeah, in it's, the first prob- team. it's it's probably the best I've seen him play though.
1: Hmm. Um, just his composure on the ball and the the way he was inclined to break lines with his passes, hmm. I thought it was impressive. He was, he was brave, he, wasn't he? If you spotted a pass and opening ahead of him, he'd just play one of those through passes along hmm. the floor allowing maybe Minamino to to receive the ball and turn and run at Everton's last line sort of thing mm. um, but you know Liverpool ended the match with, with more possession I think it was 58% one more shot attempt and two more shots on target which it is a, a bit ominous considering Liverpool's arguably third strings day mm. up against Everton's first team but I do think in this match the whole mentality aspect of it Came into it positively on Liverpool's side, mm. negatively on Everton's side.
0: Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel.
1: We'll move on to to the goal scorer. Yeah, yeah. Curtis Jones. Mm. I thought he was superb on the day. I've I've been impressed with him whenever I've seen him. Yeah. Um. I know you see the, the occasional academy academy match.
0: Yeah. of His. So I uh, I've been really watching him quite. Well, on a regular basis since he was playing under Gerard in the 18s. Um, so I've watched him probably maybe two, two and a half full seasons now on a regular basis. And yeah, he's, he's always looked a great player, great talent. Um, I said to you before that, you know, you forget he's 18 because I watch him in the 23s now and he looks seasoned. He looks... He looks like when a first-team player comes down in the 23s to play games to get, build a little bit of fitness or so to get a run out, he, he just looks head and shoulders above everybody else. And the fact that he's only 18 and he's doing that, because, you know, if he, if he wasn't developing at, at the se- at the speed he is, he could still be playing in the 18s.
1: Yeah, I but think
0: he's considerably developed for
1: 18. Yeah, And I think most other Premier League clubs, he'd be now in and around mm. the first team for a starting place. Yeah just Liverpool's a different story at the minute, but
0: I, I do think, think he's... he's got a place in this. No, we were talking about Trevella then. Yeah. I don't for me think he's going to make it Liverpool. No, Obviously I my think he's 22 Travella's Yeah, But Jones, I think over the next six to 12 months, he could be bedded in the side. And because there's no, there's no pressure on them, is it? Because the way Liverpool are, they, they don't need them to be an instant success. They can just use them as and when and get them adjusted. You've said many a time about how good Klopp is at bedding players in. I think he could be a a regular, certainly over the next I do. season or so. I do. I've got written down here for me he is a future first teamer. Nice. I'd
1: go as far as saying that. Mm. Um to 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 be a first teamer for Liverpool, you haven't just got to be good and you haven't just got to be a local lad. You've got to fit in with the identity of, of the playing style and mm. you've got to you've got you've got to epitomize and personify what Klopp's trying to do basically. And I think Jones does. I, you know, he's intense Physically, really, really good. He's young, six foot one. Despite despite the fact he's eighteen, he's aggressive. He's mobile. Um, technically good, versatile. He you know he started in midfield. He ended the match on left left wing. I think. Mm. Um, obviously, homegrown as well, which is a, a, a positive. Mm. Clearly, very driven mentally, um, and you know, best of all, he's a scout. Produces big moments. Yeah, he yeah. produces big moments. Yeah. Um, but I think all of those, he he suits the profile of a Liverpool midfielder, a Liverpool type of player. Mm. And for me, if, if you look at, I mean, I, I might be going a little bit too far here, but if, if you look at Jordan Henderson, Henderson's 29, James Milner, Milner's 34. Those two, I think, act as the the spine of, of Liverpool's squad almost homegrown, mm. um, just adding that English aspect to to the team in the midfield. And I think obviously with those being the, that age and Jones being 18, Liverpool are going to get to a point sometime soon where we need to start looking at maybe homegrown players to start being introduced to the team mm-hmm. because obviously Trent's in there. But beyond, beyond Trent in the actual first choice 11, there's not a great deal of of um, of homegrown players, then mm. I think I think there's the option for for Jones to just gradually, I mean gradually, very very slowly over a long period of time, take over the mantle of of what Milner and Henderson are doing, and almost do what do what Carragher and Gerrard did mm. as Jones and uh, Alexander Arnold. Mm. And maybe Jones won't reach that level, but I do think he's good enough to to certainly play a part
0: for Liverpool moving forward. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, he's got a um.
1: You think i going on too far there.
0: No, I don't. You know, all you can do, is th- nobody's got a, uh, a mystic ball we've seen to the future, have we? At the end of the day, you can only gauge what you're seeing now. And um, right now he seems to have really high ceiling. He's just produced a huge moment in a big game. He's been doing it at youth level for a good few years now. I, I totally agree. I think he it's exciting. I'd actually if as well, I'd probably avoid sending him out on loan as well over the next year and just see if he could be bedded into the side and see if if he steps up again. Um he's he's an exciting player and he he's if so, somebody's asked me this before, is there's anyone coming through that I think he could make it at Liverpool. I think he's definitely one of them, Curtis Jones. Yeah. I mean,
1: the other week we did the Q and A, and I was asked about Gerard and whether Gerard's suitable to mm. eventually taking over from Klopp. And you know, I tried to provide a bit of info in that it's it's not just a case of he's a scouser who's a legend at the club. He Gerard is suited to what Liverpool are doing in terms of being suited to the band of football and all that stuff. And I think Jones is similar. It's not just a case of him being a local lad who's decent. It's Suitability to what Klopp's after, mm. the, you know, the versatility and mm. the intensity, and he's clearly very driven and all that. He, he suits exactly what Liverpool would target. Mm. It makes sense considering he's eighteen, rather than going and spending money on a player like that. Yeah, just just work on him. Yeah, and totally I think Klopp said after the match, "100% a Liverpool player if if nothing weird goes wrong." I think he said something like that. Um, so I think he's a player that we're that's gonna. Very, that's a very Klopp comment. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. But I think he's a, he, he's a player that I think we're going to see and I think by the time Klopp leaves in 2024, is it? Hopefully he doesn't, but if Klopp leaves in, in that period, you know, that's that's four years from now, Jones will be 22.
0: Mm. I'd expect Still him, just 22,
1: that's mad. Yeah, it is mad, but I'd expect him around that period then to be, you know, to be doing what what Milner's doing now, what Wijnaldum's doing now, mm. what Alain's doing now, what is doing now, just yeah. in terms of like in and out the side and, and stuff like that. Yeah. I agree, yeah, totally. Um, but I, I think the match, this is important to say, I think the match offered, it, offered an insight into the, the difference between the two clubs. Mm. Obviously, we're going to record analysing Everton after this <laughs> podcast. Yeah, I'm probably going to address a little bit more then. Mm. But I think it was clear that one club has an identity throughout, yeah, top to bottom, and the other club doesn't.
0: Yeah, it is, yeah. It, I, I agree. Um, I mean... You know, I think there's actually a really good lesson, not even just for Everton. I think there's just a good lesson for a lot of sides up and down the country when looking at Liverpool. Now, I I watch Liverpool, as I mentioned, um, youth sides a fair bit. and take the under-23s when I watch them. They play almost identical to how um, the first team do. So they'll play a four three three the defence will have a high line and they'll play that high line. Now, and I haven't looked back further than this, but I know Liverpool haven't won any of the previous seven PL2 titles. So that's the, for people who don't know, it's the basically reserve Premier League. Liverpool haven't won any of them over the last seven years. Then you look at Everton. They've won two of the last three. I think United have won the two before that. But I also watch a lot of Everton's reserve sides. Now Everton, un- under David Unsworth, often play like a four-five-one, where they sit in a low block, F- so very deep, and try and hit sides on the counter. And t- it's effective; it works, and they get results. But that's not development for the first team. Yeah, if you'd have introduced one of those players to a Marco Silver team, high pressing and things. Exactly. He's struggling. Yeah, that's it. How can you better a player and develop their skills to step up into the first team when they are basically drilling different forms of football every week? Um Liverpool don't do that. And what Liverpool are doing is they sacrifice results at that level, as it should be for development. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why you can see this team come in that come in on Sunday be so successful in playing the same way that the first team play because of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. I think it's really important to flag that um, and to lesson to, to other clubs up and down the country.
1: Yeah, no, you're spot on. I can't really add much more to that. Mm. I think, you know, I've said, said to you before that I think if both clubs on a day played shadows and you, you didn't see the kits and mm. things like that, you would know which team was Liverpool and you probably wouldn't know that that was Everton. Hmm. Even though that, that was Everton's first team yeah. and it was Liverpool's third strings, hmm. it, it is mad. Um, but it just shows that it's a product of... Liverpool haven't got here like that. This this is a product of working for, for a number of years now. Klopp's been at Liverpool for about, I think, four or five years or so. Hmm. And this is, this is the product of that gradual, hmm. you know, working over time. And I, I remember when Klopp first got the job you know, that the next day he was with um, Alex Inglethorpe at the Academy, mm. just watching the kids with a coffee in his hand talking to Inglethorpe about you know ideas and things that and it's clear that like so many years later we're in a position where I you know that word again aligned mm. from, from top to bottom sort of thing. Yeah. Um but we'll move on anyway to, to the upcoming match. Spares. Mm. Spares away. Now we spoke a few weeks ago. Uh, about you know, we got asked in which which team other than City is best suited to to defeat in Liverpool. I think it was basically, and one of the answers we gave, Mourinho had just been appointed, was Mourinho Spurs. Mm. Um, would you still entirely go along with that, or, or have you taken I, a bit of a knock by 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 I, what they've shown?
0: Yeah, I have actually. I don't think there's been a huge advancement in in kind of what he's been doing under Mourinho. I think there's been changes, but, you know, firstly, let's point out, I think he's lost that psychological impact that a Mourinho appointment may have done in times gone by. Mm. I think the results don't look that great either. In fact, you've got them here, haven't you? You can leave it to go on to them in a second. Um, But no, I'll be honest, uh, I'm starting to think... I think there'll always be an edge with any Mourinho side, but I think Liverpool could quite easily easily win on the day.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think it, it 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 looks as though the honeymoon period has came and gone really, really, really quickly. quickly. Yeah, um, and I'm not sure if there's discontent in the camp or not. I don't think there is, but it 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 does seem to have gone a little bit. I don't know, cold, stale. Grumpy, not Mourinho per se, but just the, the overall scenario. The club seemed to be lifted really, really quickly,
0: and now it's back to Pochettino levels, really, really yeah, quickly. Yeah, I was not particularly bad, but just I was going to say to you, you know, if you look at them now, if you look at them in the, the from, since he's come in, metrics wise, results wise, basically everything. And someone said to you, Pochettino's still manager. You'd kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. expect it, wouldn't you? Yeah, there hasn't really been, especially recently, yeah, um, because. One thing Pochettino
1: maybe you know fell down on late, late in his tenure at Spurs was he was changing all the time, changing systems and formations and things like that. And Chasing
0: that was that, that,
1: that was fine once when, when the principles of play were in place, mm. but those principles of play gradually got lost. Mm. They stopped pressing and things like that, and they lost an identity, I suppose. Um, and Mourinho came in and you know four two three one. And he kept that week after week after week after week and it was working. In the past three weeks, past three matches to used three different formations. 5 mm. Three four three, three five two and four three two one. Christmas tree formation. Um and that's just that's never a good sign. I know that the few injuries here and there and things like that. And but it's just I am not sure why he's I'm not particularly sure why he diverted from the four two three one that he seemed to be he seems to have decided 4-2-3-1 is a good shape for his team, mm. and he's gradually moved away from it.
0: Yeah, t- did you say that was last three games? Didn't you? Last three matches. Yeah. See so what you find, don't you? Normally, when a manager's being quite tactically fluid, shall we say, is maybe they're trying to nullify strengths of the opposition. But I don't know if that was just league games or was that league and cup. That was Premier League only. Or Premier League only. I mean, you look at the teams he faced: Southampton, Norwich, and Brighton. Like for yeah. me you should be, as a Tottenham, you should be imposing yourself on the game and it should be on that those particular opponents to maybe try and nullify your strengths. But the point I'm trying to make is I don't think he's changing them to try and nullify the quality of the opposition because they should have better quality on paper. It seems I he's mean, maybe struggling to find the winning formula.
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe it's been um, it's a, a means of managing the Christmas period or something. Mm. Maybe he's had to rotate Plenty and things like that, and as a result, he's had to balanced formations and things. But
0: what, um, what do you actually think of just generally the um, the Tottenham squad or start starting eleven side? When,
1: when he came in, I thought it was a, uh, I thought the appointment was up, was fine, and I thought it was um interesting because Mourinho is a a short term winner. Really, mm-hmm. he gets short term results out of a squad. He wasn't suited to the United job because the United squad wasn't ready to win mm. it was it had to go undergo a period of development and I don't think Mourinho's particularly a development type I looked at the Spurs squad when he first came in and I thought that's a squad that's clearly been developed over the years under Pochettino they've now aged a little bit got a bit more experience they technically are in a place right now to win mm. plenty of players in there that are ready to win immediately mm. Erickson, yeah. Deli Alli Kane players like this mm. Alvaro Fatsongan they've all been around yeah. um, so I didn't think it'd be that that bad, but they've suffered a few injuries and dombele has been in and out, who I think is gonna be crucial to them. They haven't really got a midfield, they haven't really got, you know, right backs and left backs a little bit dodgy. Harry Kane's now got an injury. So so still playing in midfield. Mm. So I think the squad is, is a bit of a mess, but initially I looked at it and thought that's a squad that short term could be well suited to what Mourinho is is usually
0: after. Mm. See what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I do, yeah. I agree with most of that one. I'm, what I'm wondering is I just wonder whether some of those players you mentioned, they just don't seem to have that psychological extra ten, twenty percent to perform for Tottenham anymore. You know, Did you er- do seem to have as a group lost a bit of hunger? Yeah, hunger, that's that's the term I'm looking for. Hunger. He you look know. tired to me. Yeah, Erickson just doesn't seem the same player. You know, most of the back line looked like they were gonna be leaving in the summer. You know, you look at like Rose, for example, he... He stayed behind, I think, actually, on on preseason to get a move didn't happen. He's he's like a starter for them. Um, it's it's just a very bizarre side, and yet they just they don't seem like they've got that real competitive edge in them. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, is a player who seems to still have a bit of an edge to him. Hmm. I think, but, but but I don't know. Beyond that, just I don't know. Certain players just seem a, a little bit. I don't know I'm not particularly bothered yeah um, and there but not really yeah, yeah 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 and that's I suppose that's the opposite with Liverpool mm. um, but Mourinho's record since he came in at Spurs in the league Premier League five wins one draw three losses based on those results he would be if the Premier League season started when he came in he'd be fifth in the table at the minute um, Spurs are seventh in that time Mm. for expected goals yeah. since Mourinho came in. Mm. Um, and I think defensively as as well, they haven't
0: been... I mean, y- you expect Mourinho to seem to be watertight, really, don't yeah, you? Yeah, robust, yeah. That's kind of one of his one of the aspects of his game, that you think, well, at least you're going to get someone come in and, and basically sort the defence out. But um,
1: they're actually fourth for expected goals against, which... I expected to actually be a bit worse than that. Yeah, I was just honest. about to say, yeah. I thought but, it um, a little bit worse. Yeah, I've shipped a fair few. But I think they've probably underperformed, looking at it, in terms of expected goals mm. against. They've probably conceded more than they should have. They yeah. conceded two against West Ham on our first day, uh,
0: two against United, I think. Uh, I little think things like that. It's become apparent as well that Hugo Luis a, is a bit of a mess as well because, um, you know, probably people listening have seen various. I mean um, that guy's an drop kick yeah.
1: against Chelsea was daft. Yeah, exactly. I don't know what yeah. he was doing. I there. don't
0: I don't rate him at all. Whereas Luis, although he has a tendency to make mistakes, he's he's a keeper that seems to often overperform against his XG, doesn't he? And, you know, produce good saves. So I think they've missed him. Um and we already know, don't we, that when you don't have your, your number one in place, it does impact your um the yeah, rest yeah, of the defence. Yeah. But um,
1: oh, I think Mourinho said I mean, he, he he said in in I thought that he's got a team that can defend and a team that can attack mm. but not a team yet that can do both at the same time if you know what I mean Yeah. whether that's to do with the players mm. or you know not having enough time to coach them or whatever but he he seems to think at the minute that he can't he can't really do both hence why if they score goals he tends to concede and if they don't score goals it tends to be boring yeah you see what I mean it's tough to balance
0: the two yeah obviously
1: mm. Liverpool are arguably the best at balancing the two because of the players and things like that. Mm. Um, but I think one thing that I picked up on, looking at their results, obviously is won five. Um, they seem to have struggled against any team that you would label as good. So they were beaten comfortably by Chelsea and I'm talking comfortably in terms of expected goals mm. beneath the surface. Comfortably by United mm. and comfortably by Southampton. And he drew... You know the expected goals was fairly even against against Wolves, although they ended up winning that match two one. Um, so that's a little bit ominous for, yeah. for the Liverpool meeting. <laughs>
0: yeah, I suppose as well that um, even even that Wolves result, though that come fairly early on, didn't? He? He's played uh, played five games since then. I
1: think they got outplayed as well for the majority of that match. Yeah. I think they just that was one of them fluke games that mm-hmm. just tends to happen
0: every now and then, where it goes away. So yeah, it'll be. Um, I said it's a little bit of a different Tottenham over these last couple of weeks. Um, and they probably couldn't have picked a worse result. Um, worse opponent then, Liverpool. No. I mean
1: from the perspective of Mourinho though, he mm. does tend to do quite well against Liverpool when he's at home. Mm. Uh, we struggled against United for years. Um and we it, it, you know, hopefully he can't carry that into the Spurs team. But it 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 I always generally dread facing the Mourinho team away from
0: home? I always wonder as well how, how much, on top of the needle that was already there, if he holds anything against Liverpool for basically being the ones that got him sacked from the United job. I think he was ready to go anyway, but they were the ones that obviously put the uh, the final nail in the coffin. Um, and Mourinho does tend to find a way to spoil parties for Liverpool. Um, I think back to obviously the most famous one, the Chelsea Chelsea results, uh, the 2-0. So yeah, I, I'm just having a look at um Guy's have you seen Guy's stat? Yeah, uh, Guy, the no. producer. Go on. Yeah, Guy's fired another one over, and he's just saying Mourinho's only lost one of his last five against Liverpool. Um and that, that was the game that when he got sacked. When he got sacked, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Um in that time there's been obviously the one win, three three draws, including two nil-nils. So, Mourinho is quite happy to, as I just said, spoil the party a little bit, isn't he? And he, he's happy to forego his own in, attack and intent just to nullify Liverpool, really. And I'm expecting to do that. Well, do, do,
1: do you know what? Considering Liverpool are unbeaten, there's no one out there that would want to end that oh, why, yeah. more than Mourinho. Yeah. Knowing what he's like, his history with Liverpool and things like that, he will be really relishing that. And mm. I, I, I'm fairly certain it will be in a team tour. Mm. The fact that they've got the opportunity to do that. Yeah, uh, I don't know about yourself, but I am expecting a back three on a day from, from Spurs because that seems mm. to work at United for about, I don't know, two or three consecutive years in a row at Old Trafford. Mm. Uh, they, just, they, they seem to get tight to Salah in particular and Marnie just forcing them backwards whenever they get the ball, really on the toes and stepping on the heels and things like that. Um, and they, they place the emphasis on Liverpool's deeper players. To actually, you know, do something because they they just they just clog out, Salah and, and Liverpool's attackers sack out the game completely. The positive is that Liverpool now have since Alexander Arnold. Yeah, I was just about to say that Van Dijk, mm. Robertson, you know, players like that. Shame we don't have Fabinho. Yeah, but we do have players that are a bit more capable maybe than than in the past.
0: Mm, yeah, because yeah, what what game stood out for me was the um, the meeting at Old Trafford last year where Shaw. I think it was Shaw had a rare decent game against Salah Um, and yet he did really well in terms of kind of nullifying him but now you've got you've got Trent there as well I think (laughs) it's just if you try and deploy those tactics I think Liverpool will find an answer for it this time so it's that double jeopardy thing mm, isn't it that we've mentioned a few times yeah yeah it's uh, Liverpool a a different team this season and yeah I'll be uh, because Trent didn't play in that game did he I think. he... Oh no, he might not have. No, might think, have been Milner. That. Yeah, he played Milner. I'm sure he did. It was. It was when. Klopp I think seemed to be going through a phase of being a little bit more conservative in the bigger games.
1: Yeah, but I think he, a year before that, I think Trent got roasted by mm-hmm. by Rashford. So, with it being a bad old Trafford memory, I yeah. suppose
0: I think he went for Milner. But it's obviously, but two years on now, and he's developed, hasn't he? Yeah, uh,
1: and this is away from Old Trafford, mm-hmm. maybe not as as emotional. Yeah, with it being a new stadium and things like that. Um. But one one final point that I'd like to make regarding the game. I think one one flaw in Spurs' current game um, is set-pieces. Mm. I, I think it's maybe a bit of a flaw in Mourinho's game as well, you know. Mm. They seem to concede set-pieces not particularly uh, well-drilled from them at the minute. They conceded from set-piece against Brighton, from a set-piece against Chelsea, Olympia Icos and West Ham. Um so that that's four teams. I'm not particularly sure how many matches he's played. He's played nine. So against four of those nine teams, mm. a set piece has, has been scored. Mm. And I'm talking a set piece as in from a corner kick or from a set piece or from a free kick deli- delivery that's been headed home. So yeah, I think it's an incessant note, just simply because of how 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 much Liverpool tends to use those moments.
0: Yeah, when it's a tight game, you know, set pieces have sometimes the side of fix is for Liverpool haven't they um, and yeah that that is really I'm, important to note I'm thinking Chelsea away actually because Chelsea away was a tough game mm.
1: the performances between both teams was roughly a draw mm. but Trent scored a free kick and Firmino scored a header from a free kick yeah. and that basically won us the game so mm. this might be one of those matches where it's a tough game all round really the competition's fairly even between both boxers but Liverpool just used set pieces to actually secure the actual result mm. and yeah. the three points.
0: Yeah, I agree with that.
1: It's so a, uh, That
0: could be imperative. Yeah,
1: five on Van Dijk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um,
0: Did you say that once? And he, was it when he scored two? I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure. I've said it a yeah. few times. Just Well, if you do, when that. he uh, scores, you'll know Josh a tenner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and double as money. I'll um up for PayPal. <laughs> 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 um, so, verdict anyway. What do you think? Yeah, um... I'm going to go two 0 Liverpool. As easy as that. Mm, yeah, and it, it may not be. Uh, it may not be uh, easy in terms of the actual gameplay itself, but I think I think the results will be in the bag. Yeah, I
1: I don't think Spurs will score. Uh, I think Liverpool seem well drilled at the minute. Really intense. Joe Gomez is included. Spurs have got no Harry Kane. Things like that. So I don't think we'll concede. I do think that they'll be really aggressive and on our toes and standard Mourinho, mm. you know, template. Uh, so I don't think it'll be a particularly nice game. But I do think Spurs are vulnerable from set pieces. I think they're vulnerable in transition when the balls are loose. I mm-hmm. think Liverpool can counter them mm. and things like that. So I'm probably going to go with a 2-0. I'll go with a 2-0 mm-hmm. with you. But there's just the obvious caveat. isn't There's need that it's Mourinho away from mm-hmm. home. He just has this in him. Mm-hmm. He just... I don't know. You just never know with them. You, this could be a This, this could season, easily yeah. be a loss. It feels like it could be a loss. It's strange. Um, but I don't. I'm going to go with two I think.
0: The thing is, even if it is isn't a loss, it doesn't feel like it. It, it impacts things points wise on the table too much, does it? No. So much good work has been done up until this point that you can kind of have an off day or a bad result and still be in pole position. Yeah, I
1: mean, the positive thing is whenever we're producing this, have an off day. They still seem to not lose, yeah. you know, they, they draw or or whatever. So, you know, we'll see how it goes, but be an interesting one. And we will be we will be back next week to you know back to normal now in terms of Thursdays mm. to talk about obviously the upcoming Manchester United mm. fixture, big one, and whatever's ahead of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one game, one, game, yeah, one yeah. game at a time. Yeah, one game at a time. Yeah. Uh, so thanks for joining us again, Dave. Yeah, see you. And uh, we'll see you next week.
0: You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.